0: Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at beneath.com. That's B N 3 T H.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm here with a special guest all the way from across the pond. It really seems like we're starting to get a lot of these, uh, these Brits over here. So I am stoked. Please welcome Jordan Wiley. He is an extreme adventurer, He's a number one best selling author and truth be known, he's a Guinness world record holder. And this guy spends his entire life literally serving others just like he did when he served in the military. So everyone, please welcome Jordan Wiley.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show, Kelsey. Real pleasure to be here. I'm
0: so excited. I got the opportunity to uh, find out about you through Dean Stott and Jazz, and I kind of learned really quickly that you were a very interesting human being. That it would be a real shame that I didn't get a chance to chat with about your incredible work. Um, you and I have a similar, like-minded way of how we think, and correct me if i'm wrong but based off of anything else i've read or listened to about you you literally spend your life trying to help others and that is the definition of you and i think that's i think that's okay to say am i wrong
1: <laughs> I, I that's probably that was quite generous that's a bit, a bit extremely generous to say that I, you know I, I i try to take care of myself along the way but i, I do have a a great passion for trying to help young people especially um, children the next generation and especially um, young people affected by war and conflict I think you know as a, as a former soldier who served you know around the world I think you see a lot of things but for me the thing that really stood with me all my life is, is seeing children in a war zone I think for me there's something quite unique about that I think children are the ultimate victims of conflict when a conflict breaks out and I always made a promise, you know, lot, seeing lots of things as a lot of soldiers do on operations. But I always made a promise that one day I would go back and try and do something about it. And I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to change the world. But what I have learned in recent years is that I can change the world for a handful of kids out there. And if you can do it, then why the hell not?
0: right? I uh, see your mind. See, we are similar. You just got a sweet beard and I can't grow one. So <laughs> jealous on every level. The, the, the thing that I saw most recently, um, and I want to touch on and we'll kind of go backwards, I'd say, is you went to Africa. And, and when we were kind of arranging this, you said, you know, I got to go to Africa. I've got some, some cool things on the rise there. And then I jumped on your Instagram once you got there and you're like, oh, no big deal. I built a school. It's fine. It's no big deal. <laughs> it's no big deal at all. And I'm sitting here going on Instagram in my office going, it's teaching the world. I'm so annoyed. Look at him go. And then you see these faces on these kids and you literally built a school in Africa. I wasn't kidding.
1: Yeah, we did. You know, I'm the person, I guess, who's flying the flag. But, you know, one thing you you learn in this life is you don't achieve anything great if you do it alone. So uh, as much as I was out there and I've been doing a lot of fundraising over the last three years to build that school, incredible people have supported me um whether that's through sponsorship through donations through team members on adventures um you know i'm i'm hugely grateful to those around me I, i just try to surround myself with epic people who want to do good in the world and And we go on a journey together, really. That's that's how it works.
0: (laughs) That's so special, though, because to be able to find people that actually care about missions that you care about and to the extent and the willingness to actually sacrifice what you need to do to to be able to make these projects happen and to do it selflessly for others is a huge thing. It's one thing to be like, I'm going to start a school in Britain. They're going to slap you upside the face like, bro, we have an education system. You don't you don't need to do that. And you take that time to do it in places like like Africa and where exactly was that, are you able to say the, where exactly it is? I don't want you to narrow it down too much. I just, I, I know for safety of these own children, uh, can you tell me kind of where it is?
1: Yeah, it's, it's um, in, a, in a country called Djibouti on the Horn of Africa. Um, Quite interesting country because especially for the US listeners, because it has the largest US military base in Africa in Djibouti. Um right. and you know it's 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 a country that is is relatively stable actually, but it's surrounded, dare I say, by chaos. It neighbors Yemen, it neighbors Somalia. Um, and obviously these countries have been at conflict, at war in, in the last 10-20 years, you know, quite a lot. So a lot of the children in Djibouti you find have, have escaped conflict in the neighboring countries so they well, a lot of them have lost their families their homes their friends and you know one of the things that I've learned is that education is a great tool for inspiring hope for a better future and you know I, I wasn't good at school in fact I was terrible but I learned as I matured through life that actually education is a privilege and you know even though I had the chance to take education I didn't take it and I, I really have a lot of regrets about that and now I find that education is one of the very few things that that can inspire a better future for young people especially
0: do you do you see those kids as because what's the age group that school provides education for is it just very young children kind of growing up or is it kind of a gamut age gap uh, gap there
1: well actually it's quite interesting so the school uh, the purpose itself was was to provide basic education for young children so age sort of like uh, five to nine years old we're looking at and but what the school actually does in the evenings. And I, I wasn't even aware of this till I got out there. Obviously we funded the school, we built the school. <laughs> in, it, yeah. In, in the evenings, they have adults and, and teenagers, should I say in their sort of late teens, they, they come in and they're doing workshops on like, how do you learn about farming? How do you grow your own crops? How do you, how do you fix things? You know, DIY, fixing my bike in the village and all Amazing. these, tools, yeah, all these tools that you, you, you know, because we all think of education and we think English, maths, science, and these subjects, but actually, Education is life. And, you know, more importantly, it's it's using skills and things that you can use in life. And the other side of the world in conflict and war zones, dare I say, you know, these basic sort of things that we think are normal in schools, that they're not as valuable to these people out there because they Mm -hmm. have a different life. It's a different context. They have different challenges. So it was it was amazing to see that the school was being used for more than just a school. It was a bit of a community hub, if you like, for, for everybody.
0: It seems like it's a safe space, which is really what's needed. And, and at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's dire over there, especially. I know I have a girlfriend of mine, uh, Laura Benson. She's over in Uganda. She's Canadian. And uh, we grew up in a very small town on the East Coast. And she was very like, I want to go work in Africa. She's one of the ones that's like, I want to give everything to these children because I had everything. And I never could quite understand that concept until I deployed. And then I was with the British when I was on the front lines and I got the opportunity to sit with these kids and these little girls. And um, because I was the female searcher with the black watch for a little bit, I got the opportunity to have conversations with a Terp and them. And that was a difficult thing because they wouldn't even want to let me talk to the little girls and I could talk to the little boys, but I couldn't talk to the little girls. And that to me kind of blew my mind. And that right there just solidified my I had more empathy in a way I didn't know was possible while at the same time kind of switching it off for a certain age group and above when I was there. It was like, you look like you could carry an AK. No, I'm not. I lost my empathy for you. And then you see the little girl who's hiding and is like, hasn't eaten. And you have to sit there and lack of a better example, I had to point a gun at a guy while I gave her my lunch because he was, he slapped her upside the head and took it from her. I said, there's no chance. She needs to eat. She's going to eat. And so, you know, there's things you see. And I remember asking Laura, like, what do you plan on doing? She was, I work at an orphanage now. And so she's permanently moved to Uganda from Canada and she's built her entire life around this orphanage in Uganda. And she's told me stories that are horrific that I, I thought in the 21st century, we got our shit together as a society and human beings, but the realistic point of view is that other countries are just not as lucky as us and to see little children the age of five to nine getting to even just get the chance to read it seems so simplistic but I have a five-year-old and the idea that I would walk into a war zone and see that kid sitting on the side of the road being the one that's suffering that like now that I'm a mother it kills me on a different level so I can completely appreciate the efforts you've gone and to the extent you've gone with the things you've done to raise the funds and that kind of segues into what I want to like kind of touch on quickly is so you decided like hey you know boats are overrated canoes are nothing I want to ride I don't want to do swimming I'm going to get on a flat object and just beat the hell out of myself for like what five and a half months across the ocean for charity Want to touch
1: on that? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I guess that's okay. let me bring you down, that's what it. That's what it was. But it was. Um, it was an amazing adventure. You know, it was. I, I, I think one of the things I wanted to do with the, the the project was, as well as trying to inspire hope through education overseas, I wanted to try and inspire young people in the UK through the spirit of adventure. I think you know, people are always told in this in this world what they can't do and that they're not good enough. And you know, and I, I find that i find that a lot of people in the world have given up on their dreams uh, you know long long ago and they make this horrible habit of trying to convince everyone else that they can't achieve their dream and adults are actually the worst for it you know so for yes. me it's about trying to inspire these young people and say that anything is possible but it's not going to be easy you've got to work for it you've got to make sacrifices and you know the world's your oyster if, if you apply the right mindset and you know i'd, I'd never paddle paddleboarded in, in my life on the ocean when i set off on this so you know, I, I spent the first two weeks probably more in the water than when I was on the paddleboard. <laughs> you know, we, we, in the end, it, it, it's, it's like anything in life. You keep persevering, you keep chipping away, and you get to whatever that big goal is. And, you know, for us to to paddle, you know, 149 days, 2,377 kilometers, which was further than anybody has paddleboarded on the ocean, was was incredible. But it wasn't because I was the fittest, the fastest, or the best. It was because I never give up. And that was right. the key message, you know. That, that's, that's what's important to take from it, I think.
0: Well, it's interesting because it seems like, and I mean, up to this point, I, I can't speak for any of the guests I'll have in the future, but it does seem like most of the British people I've had conversations with or interactions with when I served alongside them, it's a very different type of person. You guys have this mindset click that is very similar to what I only kind of expect to see with special operators. Even if you're not a special operator, it feels like that's just the British military like baseline. You have a, for the most part, obviously I'm very generalizing because I've also met some shit pumps, but we, you know, there, there is a, a really great understanding there that, that, that no quit attitude. And it seems like, and I've had this conversation with people like Dean Stott. It, it seems like Anybody who's a veteran or some type of military, when they come out, they, they leave with this mindset and they are able to apply it into civilian life, unlike no other civilian could, whether it's entrepreneurship or veteran entrepreneurship, whether it's doing what you're doing, raising funds for charities and doing the hard work. It, it seems like that is a common denominator. And I'm not sure if you see that as, mo- as well, or if it's just me that's seeing this.
1: I think I I definitely think you you uh, carry a lot of transferable skills uh, into civilian life. But I think I think for me, the biggest thing, it's about purpose. And when you leave the military, you lose a real sense of purpose. And it's a purpose that you don't even realize you've got when you're in the military because you take it for granted. You know, you you, you just accept that, you know, you wear a uniform and you polish your medals and your boots and all that. And and actually, when you're in the military, dare I say, it's a bit of a pain in the ass to be doing those things. (laughs) Well, at the moment you leave, and it's like you know, Remembrance Day or it's a military reunion, nobody's prouder than a veteran than putting on their, their uniform medals yeah. or whatever it might be and flying the flag. So, when you lose, when, when you leave the military, you lose that real sense of purpose, that brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever it might be. And I think adventure with a purpose gives you that again because for me helping young children is what i believe that that's what Mm -hmm. i gotta do that's my mission get great i I get as much from it you know we're giving those opportunity but i get a feel-good factor that i never had before in my life you know so so in some respects i think it's quite selfish because i'm i get this feeling that's amazing that you can't compare to anything by delivering these projects so you know it's 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 very interesting but i think when you're doing anything with a purpose you have to always remember why you started because that is enough to get you through those tough times you know when when you've been paddling for, th- for three or four months and it's pitch black in the middle of the night and it's you know sub-zero temperatures off the coast of Scotland you don't want to get out your sleeping bag you don't want to paddle any further but then all of a sudden you remember why you started doing this in the first place and if you remember your why you know that that is enough and a big enough driver in itself to get you uh, to the end or to get you to keep you going at least
0: right when you just said sleeping bag are you talking about sleeping on a sub paddleboard in a sleeping bag in the ocean
1: sometimes on the beach on the beach sometimes okay
0: okay because i'm 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 like are you, are you sure you didn't drown at some point? Like, did someone pull it? Cause I feel like that would just cause you to, fly. there's a lot of thoughts that just went into my head when I heard sleeping bag and SUP paddleboard. It just, my brain just went sideways. <laughs> so I apologize.
1: I was, I was sleeping anywhere I could find. I was in back gardens. I was in spare bedrooms, in camper vans, on the beach, tents, you name it for five months. That, and that was probably the best part of the adventure, not knowing where you was going to wake up when you finished paddling that day. You know, it's incredible.
0: That's fantastic. I, I just love the way that you, you view life with that. It's, it's great. You have a very positive view of the military now. Um, and it seems like that hasn't left you when you were in. And I, and I know, and I will be very careful. I also know you're very still attached to the military and you do a lot of great work with them, with the cadets and the younger generation. But when you were in, did you find, uh, maybe I'll skip that. Yeah, okay, go, for let's,
1: it, go for it, come on, Are you sure?
0: Well, no, yeah. I'm just curious because- I'll, I'll give
1: you an honest
0: answer. Okay, good. Because I'm just curious because you did serve in a lot of different units, if I'm not correct. You had reconnaissance in there at some point, you had intel at some point, but what was your base job? Like when you started the military and you were like, oh, I want to join the army, what made Jordan go, oh, I want to join the army? Like, what was yeah, no, I
1: was, um, you know, the reason I joined the army was probably because I didn't do that well at school, if the truth be told. Um, yeah, okay yeah i i i didn't really pass any of my exams and but also alongside that i love sport and i love travelling so no qualifications like playing sport and love travelling the, the military is almost a natural go to um you know because i i didn't have any qualifications i was very limited in the units i could serve in so it was either infantry or armour uh, and i went armour because i'm a a lazy a lazy man from the northwest of england <laughs> i didn't want to run around with a backpack on. i wanted to sit in a tank and shoot shoot right? shoot <laughs> So, so yeah, I joined I joined a, a cavalry regiment, um, a Challenger two main battle tank regiment, and that's where I spent you know pretty much all my career. But then I, I specialized in um, reconnaissance and intelligence on operations, and, and was very fortunate to work with some interesting units with people like Dean, you know, very interested in special forces operators. But I certainly wasn't uh, in the special forces or or any elite unit. Um, but certainly very proud to, for the regiment I served in, um, w- without a doubt.
0: So. No. <clears throat> Was there a point where your family was like, we have all of this history? Like, do you have a bunch, a bunch of military family? Or is that, is that something that you were the first guy?
1: No, no. My, my, my father was in the Royal Marines, uh, my grandfathers and so on. Yeah, they, I come from a very military family. But, but I certainly wasn't influenced by that, I don't think. I'm maybe slightly right. influenced, but I wasn't pushed or, or, or guided right. that way. Right.
0: Yeah. They're like, listen, yeah. use your brain. So just like use yeah. your brain for things. You don't, to, you don't need to do that. And you're like, no hold on i'm gonna do it anyway but i'm gonna be smart about it and save my back and knees because i'm not an idiot like the rest of them out there oh my god i tell you so that must be difficult though because you're not exactly a small dude um from what i can see on images but i you know you're all the way over in the uk so i can't i can't exactly stand beside you i mean i'm five foot and 110 pounds i feel like (laughs) i'm I'm quite quite
1: big i'm I'm six foot three and you know, like 16 stone. I don't know what that is in pounds. But
0: Who cares? It's too big for a tank. I'll tell you that.
1: It is too big for a tank. And that's why I tried to spend as, as much time as possible outside the tank. <laughs>
0: Smart decision out of that turret. Or out, were you a driver? Did you have a driver? Were you just you just kind of pop out as much as you can in the turret? Yeah, so
1: you thought when you're in a tank regiment, quite interestingly, that the, the, the comfiest job in the tank is the driver's job, but it's also the most junior job. So it's like the first job you get. So you know you start as a driver uh, when you when you accomplish that sort of position you then go to be a gunner so the two coolest jobs are actually at the bottom of the chain because after you've done those you're then either commanding the tank or or loading and doing operating the radio systems and all that all the all the technical strategic boring stuff but obviously the coolest jobs are driving and shooting
0: <laughs> right always always i would just argue that <laughs> the shooting is my favorite so when you when you decided you were going to do this at what point did you decide that you were going to switch regiments or units, for, for se? So, did you always just go with them because you were that was your like? So, if you were, let me try this again. So, if you were in the tanks and then you wanted to go reconnaissance or or intel, how did that kind of come about?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, do you know it's it's quite probably different than than overseas militaries work. But I, I actually I stayed in the same regiment for my full career. But what what we. We're quite diverse in the sense so when we deploy on operations we um we send off certain individuals to go on different training courses and things so i i went mm-hmm. on my intelligence courses and then was attached to a different regiment so i still served Saw under it. my same badge same berry but i just went off to a different unit um and yeah and do you know at the time i remember thinking oh this is I've, I've been stitched up because nobody wants to go and do the course or whatever and right. it turned out to be one of the best courses i ever done and it's you know it taught me so much it was You know, working in intelligence, as a a combat troop on the front line, you sort of only know your mission and your battle picture of what you've got to achieve. But when you go to a different perspective, working in intelligence, you see the full spectrum of why people are doing things. And, yeah. you know, I, I think as a frontline troop, you just do what you got to do. You do whatever the mission is. But when, when you're not involved in that and you look at the strategic level, you understand why you're doing what you're doing as opposed to just mm-hmm. doing it. <laughs>
0: right, right. Do you, so do you find that helped you a lot in your planning afterwards? Do you need to take that love?
1: No, I don't know. I, I'm trying to find what it is. Sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have a magical raining going on all the way from England. It's all I right. Do your thing, my dude.
1: No, I think it's, I have one of these like security doorbells. So every time someone comes to my house door, it it alerts me. Oh, it gives uh, you
0: like a ding.
1: Yeah. And I don't know whether the the dinger is somewhere in here, but I can't see it.
0: Jordan Wiley's about to slit throats, people. We're just going to wait and watch (laughs) it happen. Um, That's interesting to me because I know, you know, just from firsthand experience, I had zero idea what we were told to go and do. I had zero clue. It was women and children, go. That's it. And I know the value in understanding Intel and I know the value. So did that help you? Did that help you when it came to getting out of the military and then planning all of these missions to help with these charities? Because I feel like that had to have given you a better perspective instead of just leaving with just the armored experience, because you got all of these different types of avenues, you were able to learn possibly techniques or ways of thinking or planning and prep. Is there, is there anything to that?
1: Oh, definitely. I think you know when I when I actually left the the military at the end of my my career after a, just over ten years, I actually left with um, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, and the, the what what gave me the the sort of I guess the confidence to take on that was because I'd spent these two operational tours in intelligence, and I became very um, analytical and critical in my thinking, and that that you know that is very sort of academic in the way things work. You know when you when you're in the world of academia, you're always critically analyzing, you know, why somebody said something or why somebody did something. And I guess, yeah, I've I've never thought of it like that. But but the way you just sort of asked that question, that is exactly why, why I I got to finish my degree. So there you go.
0: See, I'm good for something to make you think that's what I want. This is what I like, because it's interesting when you, when you speak with somebody who's been in intelligence, and you've seen somebody who's either a, like a special operator or things along those lines, there's a very different subset of education that is given and understanding into planning and executing. And it's like that, that the the running are like the God screen, you see, you see the battlefield, you see what's going on. And I just feel like that would, that would help. I feel if if so many more of our soldiers were given a course like that, I think it could help so much more once they've gotten out because it gives them that critical thinking. It gives them that idea that they can look at things from an outside perspective. And I just don't know that that's done. So it makes sense to me when I see you accomplishing X, Y, and Z for all of these big foundations and you're following through and you're committing and you're getting it done in a fairly timely manner for, for most of these projects, they're quite large projects.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, you really, you really, it's quite thought provoking what you said there. I've just been sort of <laughs> spinning around in my mind, and I think absolutely because I was thinking as well that you know one of the things we spent a lot of time doing in intelligence was interviewing people or, or tactically questioning, um, you know, the the, the bad guys <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's so like waterboarding, it's
1: oh, fine. All, all all ethical and legal. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so actually you learn a, low, a a whole sort of different set of skill sets in that respect because you you're constantly analyzing someone's behavior their body language you know why they say something what why why are they looking away when they're talking to you why did they use that noun instead of that verb or whatever it might be and and right. you become very political and and you also get to understand what makes people tick, you know, why, why people do what they do, you know, what, what is the catalyst for, for them making that decision, you know, what, what, so, so actually, it's, it's really interesting, actually, in, in, in that respect, I think, of, of, of just understanding humans.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, a. I mean, that's something that I, I, I find incredibly enjoyable is to be able to understand how someone ticks and and so that's a fascinating you know it's a fascinating way to look at it the way you the way you see it because on these types of deployments it's not like you're speaking directly to that individual you're often going through a terp if I'm if I'm incorrect here on this right so that's a that's a different that's a different type of way to talk to someone because you're they're reacting in maybe a dialect and maybe a mannerism that is that is normal to them but to you that could be like that's a little shifty that's a little shady i don't like the way you're looking i don't like the way your hands are moving and so that must have been difficult for you when having those conversations
1: yeah very difficult especially as you say when you're when you're speaking through somebody else and and that's why you you have to look at a lot of different sort of uh, perspectives from from an intelligence cycle because just speaking to someone is probably through an interpreter is not going to be good enough to prosecute someone or, or or to find enough evidence and that's what you know you have to that's why we do things like you said searches you know searching property searching people you know interrogation um looking at pattern of life you know why was somebody in a certain place at a certain time when they don't normally when they don't live there or they've never been there before right. You know, so, so gathering as much CCTV uh, surveillance reconnaissance—you know—it's all those little bits. It's—it's it's like a big puzzle, isn't it? And intelligence mm-hmm. is one piece of that puzzle, in fact.
0: Right, and so for for you, once you've once you've done all these types of training, how many deployments did you end up doing?
1: I did three uh, operational tours, uh, two of Iraq.
0: Okay, so the rest were in Afghanistan.
1: No, in uh, Northern Ireland, in in fact.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
1: Yeah, no- yeah, so Northern Ireland. I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Afghanistan, but in the private sector, as opposed to in the in the military.
0: Oh, okay. So the safe sector. The yeah. the that's what I like to call the safe sector, and I know that's that's not often true, depending on the situation. But I call it that because it's not that mentality of we're getting up at oh seven hundred, we're going to take the same route in the same tank with the same people, and we're just going to get hit over and over again because of this poor yeah, yeah. planning. So that's why I say, you know, you guys often turn the lights off, drive fast at night, and you don't go anywhere. You so it's it's a safer sector, in my opinion. Never doing it, I've never done it, but I'm just basing it off of people I've spoken with. So my apologies again for the generalization. I seem to be landing those solidly today. So for so for you, after these deployments, I mean, you're seeing, doing, and being involved in situations that can be quite traumatic. And you know, we do talk well, quite openly about people's struggles and, and what that means to have seen, done and witnessed things. And so for you, you're quite a bubbly dude. You're a very outgoing dude and you're a guy that really is an open book. And so let's see how open you are. What was that like for you once you deployed? I'm not very familiar in Northern Ireland. I knew some of the issues going on. I understood a very minimal amount of that, but for Afghanistan and Iraq and things like that, for you was there a point when you're like, I can't do this any longer, I cannot deploy to these places any longer?
1: Um, I, you know, I was inter- interestingly, perhaps for, 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 for some listeners, I was actually a rejoiner to the military. So, after my first oh. thought of it, yeah, I, I left the army. Um, and then I came, but, but then I came back six months later to rejoin again. <laughs> uh, that was so, a real
0: long break, buddy. Real long break, solid.
1: Yeah, it was enough for a holiday overseas, you know, on a beach and what have you, but um, it was. It was actually because of an incident that happened, uh, well, several incidents in in Iraq in 2005. And I, I wouldn't say that I thought I could not do this anymore. I, I think it was more of I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Um, I think, you know, when you see some pretty horrific things and you lose friends, and you lose colleagues in, in incidents, you, you just think, you know, what's what's the point in this? I, I had this sort of I think it was quite knee jerk reaction at the time, because literally after I lost a good friend, I thought, you know what? I need to get out of here. It's not for me. This I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. Um, but then after obviously six months, 12 months later, you process it and you understand it. And and then I was like, you know, this is who I am. This is what I do. Um, and then, yeah, I went back. <laughs> for they let
0: two. you back, eh?
1: Yeah, they wow. let me back. You know what was quite funny, actually? You'll, you'll like this uh, little story. When I, when I left, I was like really struggling to find work and things because I, I had these dreams that, you know, I was going to earn loads of money in the city and go and I'll live this very luxurious life. And I found myself in 2005 being a security guard on my local, like, like a supermarket, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my job was literally to just press the barrier that lifted up for the for the cars to come under it. And it was like 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was like going crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't even pay my bills. It was like so low paid. And you know, n- nothing against anybody in the security guarding sector, because actually it's a very important job. But this one was like it was it was the bottom of the barrel it was like you didn't need to think at all you just needed to press right. barrier and the irony was that when i rejoined the army my my commanding officer when i rejoined my first day he put me on guard duty so i had to go yeah. and do the same <laughs> he put me first on the same yeah, and he put me in the same job, but I, I was literally pressing a barrier. But this time, he had my uniform on, so I was like, it just felt so much better.
0: <laughs> it just—it's it, amazing what that little uniform can can do. The mindset change that it can put—it's like, oh wait, no, but it's okay because I'm part of the military again. This is exactly this is a job that's necessary. It's for the safety of the military. It makes it worthwhile. And plus, I'm sure you're getting paid like a micro amount better.
1: Oh, I was getting I was getting paid so low when I, I I was I was it was a terrible it was actually a really bad period of my life. You know, I think I was really struggling and um, you know, mentally, physically, and it was, you know, I, I feel that was when, do you know, when you leave the military, I see it sometimes with people today. Now I, I really have like a growth mindset of, of everything I do. You know, I always, I always take positives from even negative experiences right. where at that stage in my life, you know, 10 fact more than that. Yeah. 15 years ago, that was like, I think I had this victim mentality and I see it sometimes with military personnel today you know you leave you leave the armed forces and you think the world owes you a favor because you've been to Iraq Afghanistan you think somebody's going to give you a job because you you know you've served your country and you've got your medals so but actually you learn quite quickly that that isn't the case and you might have to start right at the bottom again and you know and certainly don't forget what you learned don't forget your experiences but Certainly don't carry a chip on your shoulder thinking you're better than anybody because, you know, you, you, you'll you come crumbling uh, down quite quickly. You have to be prepared to work hard and start at the bottom and climb your way up again. You know, it, it, you might get lucky. You might, you know, through networking and relationships, you might get some great opportunities. But ultimately, you're a civilian and you have to start again.
0: It's interesting because you would think, I mean... I would like to think that when you leave the military, it gives you more transferable skills. And it may from a psychological standpoint, and it may from a, you know, just leg up and understanding how things work and how countries work, depending on the sectors you want to go into after. But very often we see, a a, you know, a, a heavy subset of individuals turn to alcohol and drugs to just cope with the things that they've seen and done. And then they're just so far down the idea that anybody would help them or you know go into a sector that they they're wanted or something that is fulfilling them the way they felt that they were being fulfilled in the military that's a completely kind of different conversation and you kind of touched on quickly that you had a little bit of struggle there and you were going through some stuff and so for for you was this are related or was this that mindset that i needed to you know start all over again what was it that really knocked you down
1: um, do you know, when I, when I uh, left the military, the biggest, I, I've never, uh, t- touch wood, I've never had a problem with processing the sort of the things that I, you know, that I saw and experienced in terms of, you know, losing friends, losing colleagues, obviously things like PTSD and, and trauma is, is a real big problem worldwide for a lot of former soldiers, but for me, Personally, I, I, I don't think, well, I, I think I've been able to process and understand all that. So so that I don't think has affected me that, um, in, in a negative way because I, I try to use those experiences in a positive way. I try to, you know, for, from losing colleagues and friends, I, I have a, a great value of life now. You know, I, I understand the mm-hmm. importance of, of, of everything I do because I you know, I know, I appreciate life can be taken away from you uh, just like that. So I, I value life so much more now. But but also, I think for me, the things that, that got me down and, and, um, and made me sort of struggle with my mental health were the things that everyone goes through, you know, breakups in relationships, um, you know, not seeing my daughter uh, as much as I want to, because I'm not with her mother, um, you know, working away from home a lot, stress work. So actually, for me, it, it, it's normal life that, that caught up with me in the end. And, I think, you know, people make a a judgment that because you served in the military, well, if you've got any mental health issues, well, it must be related to combat or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly working, you know, I I spend a lot of time helping young children because of what I saw. So that is certainly the the work I do with kids overseas in conflict zones is definitely come from my experience in operations and seeing the things I saw. So that, that affected me, but I don't, I don't really see that as a negative. I see it as a positive because if I didn't see those things, I wouldn't be able to provide the opportunities I do today right. for the kids. So I, I, I think you know you you have to you you have to look at everything with a growth mindset because otherwise you'll become a victim to your own thoughts. You have to be whatever it is that you're thinking about or doing in your life. There's always positives to take from it. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. You know, I hundred percent believe that. Um, but if if you're going to just focus on the negatives, well, then it is you are going to go downhill, you are going to be pretty depressed, and it's going to be pretty miserable. And and that's obviously easier said than done, because, you know, sometimes you need to get professional help. I've certainly had right. that and a lot of friends have and you know, you, you need someone to speak to and to get it off your chest. And I think, for me, the best piece of advice is you have to be honest with yourself, you know, before you worry about the rest of the world, you have to You have to look yourself in the mirror and and be really honest with yourself and say, you know, I've got a problem and I need to fix that. And uh, there's no shame in that. There's nothing embarrassing about that. That's that's how you get better by taking responsibility.
0: Well that's I, like that's what I mean. I just love I, I, the reason I pride on that a bit is because I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, there are things outside the military that individuals go through that aren't necessarily anything to do with their deployments. and 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 they all still have a factor in in the way that we think and and move once we are out. And it whether it's the decision making we do, the time that we spend doing those things, it it has a lot more to it than just, just the the tour because often you come home and if there's no support system for you at home there's no way of getting help or treatment because you can't get access because veterans affairs can suck sometimes it's just very much dependent on the country you're in and their programs for you afterwards and if you don't take the time to read the paperwork have the conversations before you get out and educate yourself you're 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 going to end up being one of the vets that's like vac doesn't call me nobody loves me nobody helps me I don't know what to do it's like well did you take the time to read did you take the time to educate did you take the time to have those conversations before you got out and most importantly be honest with yourself and I think you're the first person that's actually said that to me and I think that's incredibly important to acknowledge because it's one thing to struggle with something it's another to lie to yourself and manipulate your own thoughts to thinking that you are something that you're not and if you're not taking the you know that that blinders off that truthful look at yourself and going hey I'm just struggling with stuff I just am, I just need to have that conversation with someone. I think that's incredibly important to acknowledge. There's so much mental health issues going on in the world right now, not not even tour related for God's sakes, just people cannot cope with what is happening in the world. And we are seeing this incredible push towards mental health, been screaming about it for five years, but I'm super glad it's finally coming out. And I think it's because it's popping the civilian population in the face This is what it feels like to be, you know, isolated. This is what it feels like to be hurting from something. This is what it feels like to lose people that you can no longer see or say bye to. Good. Welcome to the rest of the military. We've all been doing this for decades. I'm glad that everybody else can understand how important mental health is in this day and age. And so it's a great thing to see people doing that. But my God, you sure it's hell picked a time to build a school and travel around the world. What, how the heck has that been for you? during covid God,
1: With the COVID, it was it was a, n- a nightmare. I don't recommend anybody travelling on holiday <laughs> at the moment. It's uh, you know getting uh, getting those sort of COVID tests every airport, going through Africa in places like Somalia and Ethiopia, and God, I don't recommend it. It was like having a javelin pushed up my nose. You know, it was, awesome. <laughs> and the guy's doing it, and he's not even looking at you. He's just talking oh, no. to. His- so it's like, uh, so
0: like It just hits the back of the brain. We know we're there. It's fine. Exactly. He's fine. He's not bleeding. That's not cerebral fluid. It's the fine. It
1: sticks like my nose is this yeah. big and the sticks like this big and it all goes in. I don't know where it goes.
0: <laughs> it goes, Oh, I know where it goes. Cause I've had that test. That thing goes to hell and gone. It goes to my toes and back because that is disgusting. It's ridiculous. But for you, I'm. what's it like going to Africa during COVID? What are you seeing? Is there, is there a difference there and how things are being handled? I really don't give a shit about COVID to have this conversation, but I'm genuinely curious about what it's like over in a country like that right now, because we're seeing Canada react. We're seeing us react and Britain and all these other countries. But the mainstream media doesn't care about those countries, so I'm curious to see, you know, firsthand what you think.
1: Well, you know, probably two of the really interesting things, what I, I, I found, and I was telling my friend in the bar in a pub the other day, I said that, firstly, when I was getting my tests in, in Africa, they didn't charge me. So in the UK, we pay a fortune to go and have these tests before we fly. So that was really interesting because if anything, you'd think that you'd be charging in Africa more so than over here. Um, but they, they were completely free. So I didn't ch- pay anything for those tests. And the second thing was when I was out in the, in the desert in the middle of nowhere where we were building the school and things, people, I had the mask on and people thought I had an illness. They'd not even heard of COVID. They didn't even know what COVID was. And I'm walking yeah. around in this. Yeah, they were scared that I had this mask on. They thought, is there something wrong with this guy? Um, everything.
0: Yeah, so. he goes everything is wrong with this guy what are you yeah. talking about it's the mask
1: <laughs> so some people not even heard of covid you know which is again completely alien from our world where we that's all we hear about every day on the news and the internet and whatever else um, oh. but it's interesting because they're they're out in the middle of nowhere they have no tvs they have no internet so it's it, it's interesting how your brain is wired differently because you you're fed with all this bad news negativity every day from the media isn't mm-hmm. it they were careless. They were they would do it. They were eating in the in the in the small sort of I can't really call them a restaurant, but in the shacks. Um, yeah. They were playing football in the park together or whatever. They had no concern for COVID over there.
0: <laughs> god damn it! I love those people so much more already. They're starting to be my favorite people right now. After this conversation, I want to go be and live there now. At this point, my god, we had that conversation before. I want to touch on your book. I want to touch on um, your bestseller, and I think that's important to acknowledge because. I have a book and I know how hard it is to make that a bestseller. So let's let's touch on that. Tell me about it. Tell me what
1: it's about. Which which one? Which one? Sorry. The 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 the, the pirate one.
0: Yes, pirate. sorry. I should have I should have specified. My apologies.
1: Yeah, come <laughs> yeah, <no>. on, no, you're <laughs>
0: such a big deal. You got so much going on. I'll correct myself. The pirate book, bro. Hit me. The
1: pirate book, yeah. So um, in fact, I should know because that was the only one. The second one didn't do that well. <laughs> oh no?
0: Well, that's okay. It will now, you'll be fine.
1: We, yeah, we've got a new one coming later this year, so fingers crossed. But yeah, the pirate the pirate one, Citadel, was, um, yeah, I think we brought that out in 2017, 20, 2017 2018. Um, and that was, yeah, we, we were very fortunate because I think, you know, one of the reasons why I think it did really well was because no one had really captured the story of the private sector and pirates in the Indian Ocean. And I think mm-hmm. it was, as much as it was an interesting story, obviously, I would say because I because I wrote it, but I think... It was the timing of the book which made it a bestseller because it, it 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 talked about all the challenges that we had in the Gulf of Aden, you know, the the lack of regulation, the, the illegal weapons moving around the world by by these sort of mercenaries, if you like, and private privateers, um, and yeah, it was it was the story about I spent five years working off the coast of Africa protecting ships from pirate attacks, and and it was all the sort of little uh, stories from those experiences, you know, and 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 it was. I also try to tell a very balanced view, you know, because it's very easy to say that the pirates are the bad guys and we're the good guys. When I don't believe that to be the case, you know, I was, I was only there because I was getting paid very well. Um, I wasn't there because I wanted to save the world or anything, you know, being completely honest. I, I was there because I got to travel the world, which is what I love doing. And I got paid very well for doing that. So at the same time, the pirates, you know, they, it wasn't a case of all these are bad guys, the terrorists, they're the criminals. All, of course, a lot of them were, but a lot of them were actually, you know, that we, the West, had depleted all their fish stocks from illegal fishing. Um, we had been dumping toxic waste in their waters for many years, um, and you know, we, we, that we, they were fighting back. Yeah, they, they were doing what they needed to do to survive, and. You know, so certainly for me, it wasn't uh, the good against the bad. It was it was a lot more level playing field than that, in, in my opinion. And yeah, we had um, we had a great five years out there. I've met lots of interesting people, lots of amazing experiences, um, a few shootouts with the pirates, and and a few near misses. But uh, you know, re- really, really, it was uh, another chapter in my life where I learned a lot, I met some incredible people, and uh, you know, it was it was great to write it up and, and tell that story.
0: It's an interesting story to tell too, because so many people don't quite understand what the private sector means and how that works and what the ins and outs are of that. And, you know, there are so many different nuances and types of private security and contractors and and how that works. And they deploy to all different places in the world. And I say deploy, I mean, you go to work. So I guess, do you deploy? I guess, is that the right word to use? You you go to work in other places.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think it was it was important to tell the story from, you know, I was I was pretty low in the military chain of command. I was a, I was a, a corporal. I was very low down the chain mm-hmm. of, of being a soldier. So, for me, I, I tried to tell the story through my eyes because actually a lot of the people that will go into the private sector are, are sort of at my level, if you like. You know, the the guys who will do. I don't know, five years service, maybe more, maybe less, but the typically go pursue a career in the private sector in maybe Iraq, Afghanistan, or in the maritime or wherever Africa, wherever life takes them. I and and I wanted to, to show people that it isn't all, you know, uh, big pay packets and AK-47s and no. actually, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, there's a lot more to it than that. And there are a lot of challenges as well. If you get it wrong, you know, a lot, you you don't have the support of the military when things go wrong. You don't have uh, helicopters and tanks that are going to arrive when, when the shit hits the fan, so to speak, you you can be left alone on your own in a little team of two or three people and you'll be left to hung out to dry. So I wanted to really show people what, you know, both sides of the private sector. There are, of course, these amazing companies that do a lot. They provide you insurance, the best kit, the best equipment. They pay you well. But at the same time, there's a lot of cowboys out there who, who don't have insurance. They give you weapons that are not fit for service. They don't give you training. Um, and and the, you know, that they, they leave you at the other side of the world when things go wrong with no plane tickets. So it was important to from an education perspective with with people leaving and veterans to show them the reality. And so for me, that book was all about. My reality of seeing things how how they unfolded, and and it and upset a few people as well. You know, it, it, sorry yeah. to interrupt. It upset no, a few people who were who were in the industry. You know, people didn't like some of the things I said because um, it didn't fit their business model or it didn't suit their narrative they wanted to portray. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. So I, I just spoke very honestly of how I seen it. I'm not saying it was how everybody saw the industry, but it was how, how I high seen it. my experiences and what I went through, um, and and yeah, I just tried to tell it honestly.
0: Well, and I think that's the difference. And I think that's important too. Most people don't like anything I say, so I don't really care because that's the difference is you just got to not care because if that's your viewpoint and that's where how you've seen it and that's how you've experienced it, nobody can tell you you're wrong because it's individualized individual experiences. And and, and to say and to have somebody argue with you about that, that's just that's just not how that should work if you run your company that way that's fantastic but your experience is that this is the company i'd worked for this is how it happened this is what it looked like you can it's apples and oranges you just can't compare and and i and i agree with you on that i think it's okay to have a different view and people may not all like it but the reality is it's still your reality and that's acceptable
1: well I think it's also like anything in life you see a lot of with social media these days you know people have always got opinions people who have never met you mm-hmm. they don't know you but they'll have an opinion on your life and I, I always try to say to young people in you know schools and colleges that y- y- you have to evaluate the feedback that you get from people because y- you, you know when, when people have got an opinion or a comment on it you have to think you know is, it, is that of value to you do you know them Have they got, have they earned the right to have an opinion on whatever you're doing. You know, and it's, it's really important to to consider where the feed, the source of the feedback before you let it affect you mentally, before you get depressed or really happy about it. Think about where it's come from and, and what the credibility of that source is.
0: I think that's, that's really important to point out too, because we, I mean, you, just in general life, you, you hear all of these things, especially because right now everybody has got their face glued to the news, which uh, I turned it off years ago. But you, they've got their, you know, they're, they're being fed information and it's these, it's the lack of sourcing. It's the lack of education. And so a lot of people are just naive enough to be like, oh, well, that's just what they said. So they must be right. They wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. So you're telling me the troll that tells me I need to go because I use too many emojis that my dad didn't love me. Like... Bro, nobody cares what you're saying. Go back to living in your mom's basement. It's not worth my time. You have to consider where you're getting your information. And I think that's incredibly important, especially in the 21st century with just the overload of information just bombarding our brains on a regular basis. It's it's like anything else. You are what you eat. You see, you feel, you do. And I think that's really important. And so for you, I can only imagine you're getting, you must be getting lots of love lots of hate lots of different types of things coming your way and I just want to know really I mean you touched very quickly on that you have a daughter I won't go into your family life because I know that's your private space but having a daughter doing what you do that must be interesting for her to grow up and see that she's set you're setting her up to end up doing exactly what you do and just spending her life helping so many people you're aware of that, right
1: uh, I think you have to you know we, we when you've got children all you can do is try to be the best role model that you can be i think you know i i hope that my daughter will grow up and judge every other male that enters her life or female against the standard that i've set you know uh, you know and and, and and that's all you can do because you 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 can't protect them too much because otherwise you know they, they have to experience life they have to I encourage people to fail you know going if, you, if you're failing at something you're giving it a go you're putting yourself on out there you're making sacrifices so you know life life is is, is a big journey and you, you've got to go out there and give it 110 percent and and I, the same message to any young person whether it's my daughter or not you know I I always think that that as humans, we're, we're always operating at about 30%, maybe one third of what we could actually achieve. And we always, I always hear people when I show them, a, you know, an adventure or an expedition, they'll say, I could never do that. Well, actually you could, if you give it a go, you you can do anything you want, but you've right. got to be prepared to, 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 to work at it or, or, or learn or, or make the sacrifices or whatever it might be. But it, it, it's all, I think most challenges in this world are in the mind, you know, you, you your limitations are in the mind and you, you, the world's your oyster but you gotta you gotta go and do something about it because my my father used to say to me many years ago that the world's full of of, of talkers and very few are doers and you know if you want to live a real fulfilling rewarding life you need to be a doer and uh, don't just talk about shit don't do shit you know and that's what <laughs> i try
0: <laughs> yeah no i love that i heard a quote the other night uh last night actually and i was like oh my god i need to find out who said that but it was like it was about um, road bike racing i'm really into road bikes I'm small. It's like the best thing I can do. Okay. Leave me alone. And so I, I remember, and it was, uh, well, you didn't win, but sometimes you win and sometimes you learn and that's the difference.
1: Well, do you know, when I, when I was, when I was paddling around um, great Britain, I I paddled for 149 days. And then when I got to the top of Scotland, I was asked to stop by uh, the Scottish government because of COVID COVID regulations um, you were so on the I...
0: water by yourself breathing yeah, exactly. the fresh water air what are you talking about that's irrational yeah.
1: exactly so it caused quite a big uproar um in in the uk that um you know by people who were following the project but actually mm-hmm. it didn't matter because we'd raised a hundred thousand pound to build the school and finish the school so for me, yeah. it had been, it'd been very easy to focus on the negatives that we'd been stopped and we didn't complete the mission. But we did because our mission was to build a school. You know, right. the, the paddle was just a vehicle to, 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 to fundraise for it. So, you know, you have to remember, as I say, why you started doing whatever it is that you do, because if I was just focused on paddling, well, it had been a failure, but I wasn't. I was focused on. There's all sorts of bells and whistles going off now.
0: <laughs> okay? Leave him alone, guys. Don't you judge him it's not his a, cell phone? <laughs> You're it's you know what it is. People are hearing this being broadcasted and they're like, we don't like her. Turn her off. <laughs> too loud for us. Oh, sure, loud. it's completely the
1: luck of
0: it. Sure, <laughs> complete luck of it. He's like, I just have to go. Are you not getting it? Your friend's just standing at the door. Come on. <laughs> But it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm stoked on the person you are as a human being, because I think you, you bring a lot of different, uh, different ways of looking at mindset and mindset is everything. And, and, and like you said, mindset is, is, is a hundred percent how you're going to live your life and, and the how you want to live your life and the choices you make to, to make those things happen. And, you know, like your dad said, there's very many people that are doers in this world and to have just a handful of doers that, do what they do on an extreme large scale level that you're doing. I mean, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before people catch on and go, oh, wait, he can do that. Oh, I can do that too. I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to give that a try. And it's always nice to see individuals taking, you know, taking stock of their life and going, what am I doing? even just pausing for a minute what am i doing to better not only my life but somebody else's life because everything is so selfish nowadays and like you said it may feel selfish to you because you're getting you know what you need from it you're getting that emotional response you're getting that positive response but i really truly don't think that's selfish i think that just happens when you've done something good for others without asking for anything in return. I think that's a normal response and I and I don't see that as selfish at all. If anything I see it as selfless because you've spent your entire life trying to do these things for these kids in this school. Is this an ongoing thing that you guys are going to try to keep funding and keep up with the school or build more? Like what's the plans? What's it look like coming up for, for Jordan in the next you know year, 18 months?
1: Yeah, so the next um, the next 12 months in um, a few more adventures. I'm in um, I'm in Antarctica in December. The North Pole in in April next year, and I'm leading. I'm actually leading an expedition next year to take um, a group of young people out to see the school. Um, so I'm going to take twelve young people from from the UK uh, to go and see what we did, you know, and show them that this is the difference you can make with a bit of passion and a bit of purpose in your life. You know, you can you can achieve some pretty epic things. So um yeah we're gonna we're gonna keep a relationship with that school and you know hopefully hopefully do a few more uh, similar projects around the world um fingers crossed
0: well you let us know how we can help over at brass and unity because uh, you said something to me and that's exactly and, and you said it word for word the same way i say it and i've never heard other people say it that way so i was really stoked when i heard another human say it. it's like this is just the vehicle to get the money where it needs to go. This is just the vehicle to put the money in the hands of the people that need it. That is literally what I've been saying for five years. This stuff is just the vehicle, man. We're not we're not doing anything. We're just providing the support to the people that are doing the hard work, putting in their life, like putting their life on the line to look after the school in a place that is just, for lack of a better example, it's pretty sketchy. I'm not gonna lie. Africa scares the shit out of me. Um, But I'm not going to also lie. I'm probably going to be like the third tiny human, 13th individual that you're going to bring. So I'm going to drag myself with you because I want to see what you do. I want to see the impact you've had. And I want to make sure that everybody in the world knows about it because I'm sure you have no issue doing that on your own. But if there's anything Brass and Unity can do to help with that, we are so here for you because you are a value add. I do say that to very few of my guests because most of my guests are awesome but there's a difference between a value add to the world and somebody that's going to leave their mark in a in a different type of way from philanthropic work and i think your legacy will continue on because of that and not because you were in the military and not because you did private security those were just the tools that you were given that allowed you to do the good work that you're doing now and i think that's really really fantastic and i do know i have 6 minutes left so I want you to tell the listeners, all of your socials, where they can find you, how they can help your next project, what they can do to help change their world and continue doing the work and how we can just support, support the mission, man. Tell
1: us. Oh, you're very kind. Well, firstly, it was an absolute pleasure to be on, on your show and thank you for your kind words of support. I really, I really appreciate them because as I said at the start, you, you need a good people around you. You need good teams to do great things in the world. And uh, and I, I'm just a guy who who sort of you know sits in the middle and brings everyone together and makes lots of new friends. Um, but right. yeah, if you if you want to follow the adventures, my my socials is at Mr Jordan Wiley. My website's jordanwiley.org. Um, new book coming out later in the year about about the power of paddling with a purpose. And um, TV shows back on. Um, we have a TV show in the UK that I work on called Hunted. That's on. Um, we start filming again two months, October September October, um, and yeah, I just for me, you know, I just want to encourage people to get to, to, to go and find their purpose, whatever it is in the world, because you you live a lot more fulfilling life when when you can find that. I, I always say to young people actually, when I'm asked for advice, I I call it my ABC rule and uh, to success if you like. And but obviously success is 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 perceived differently by different people but for 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 success for me it's the, the three ingredients is firstly a is for attitude you know having a positive attitude in life will take you a lot further than than qualifications than experience than pretty much anything else you'll find you know attitude is infectious surround yourself with people with the right attitude have a right attitude and see where the journey takes you i think b is is b is about building relationships you know you relationships you have to cultivate them you have to work at them you have to you know the, the the biggest thing where people get it wrong with relationships is is they have this horrible habit of going somewhere to someone when they want something don't be a person who is looking to take be a person of value see how you can help people because when you try to help people and focus on that the rest takes care of itself you don't have to worry about what you're going to get because life's very reciprocal you help people and good shit happens that's 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 true it's a fact for me mm-hmm. and i think you know, C is for continuous professional development, which again links into attitude because it just goes to, to, to say really that you never stop learning. Every day you can learn something new. You can learn from other people. You can learn from the places you visit, you know, embrace yourself in other cultures, learn about other people and Yeah, But most importantly, it's about the journey. It's about the adventure. And you don't have to go to the other side of the world to have an amazing adventure. Adventure is is a mindset. You know, it's about thinking differently. It's about finding, um, you know, those little wins every day and and seeing how you can have a positive impact on the world. So, yeah, that's that's all from me. But really amazing to be on, on the show and a pleasure to speak to you.
0: Mate, it's been, uh, it's been more than a pleasure. I can't tell you how excited I was to have you. Just stay on here for a second. I'm going to sign us off. Just stay with me. Everyone, please make sure you check everything Jordan Wiley out. I'm sure at some point this guy is going to have like this ridiculous swag that's just going to say Jordan Wiley on it, and you're just going to all want to buy it because I feel like this guy's going places. So everyone, please check out everything he's got going on, and we will see you all next week.